0: Hi and welcome to Indie Wire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. My, we're at South by Southwest today. And my guest today is director Gareth Edwards. Hello. Hello, hello. You gave an awesome, awesome keynote yesterday um, kind of that I think was really apt. Your career in a lot of ways got a big start at, at South by Southwest when yeah. you brought Monster here. Kind of about how a lot of your career um, was possible because of the digital era. And one thing that I wanted to kind of build off off of that was your visual effects background. And yeah. I mean, you told some great stories yesterday about how when you got your first directing jobs, it was about the fact that you could make, I think $250,000 look, I don't know, like $500,000 or right, a million right. or something like that. Is that something, I mean, obviously you have no regrets, you just did Rogue One, is an amazing film, but in thinking about that backwards, talking to, say, the 22-year-old that's here that has a little Gareth Edwards in him, or her. <laughs> what, uh, what, what, Do you think back about how that influenced you as a filmmaker and your career path of, of starting doing, doing visual effects?
1: Yeah, I mean, I felt like I had been born in the wrong time and I'd missed my chance for a long time. And it was like, you look at your heroes, like Steven Spielberg, and Scorsese and Lucas and everyone, they they sort of lived in this era where there was not that much competition, you know what I mean? Like it was hard to make anything on film, which was the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was not that many short films in existence. And so if you made one that was pretty okay, if not not bad or, or good, you you'd kind of get noticed and maybe you'd get the opportunity to direct, because it was there wasn't that many kids wanting to do this sort of thing for a living. Mm-hmm. And then as I was growing up, there was a whole generation like me. You know, everybody wanted to make films. Everybody wanted to be part of the film industry because of people like Spielberg and George Lucas. And that kind of film school generation. Yeah. That and it was like very unimaginative to say you want to be a filmmaker, you know. And so, but at the same time, thanks to people like Lucas, you know, digital technology was progressing. Yeah. And um, ended up studying film and, and thinking that when I graduated, I was going to... Follow the Spielberg path of like you go to Hollywood, you show your short film, and then you get a gig. And that never happened because my short film was rubbish. But um, I did make it um, actually with my flatmate who did computer animation. It was probably one of the first student films to try and do CGI and live action. What time,
0: like roughly what time were we talking about?
1: 1996. So that was, you know, it was really hard to get things in and out of the computer. Um, We had to film the screen itself. With a Bolex, six, uh, yeah, 60 millimeter camera, and so one frame at a time, like press the next frame and expose it for a second, let go, press the next frame, and we actually did the whole movie like this, and it took days.
0: When you talk, you mean the screen? What you, do you mean? The uh, monitor of the monitor. Yes, yeah, so you could
1: see the pixels. It was rubbish. I said it <laughs> looked rubbish, and but it did open my eyes to computers, and I thought, okay, computers are mm-hmm. the future of filmmaking, not just with visual effects, but with editing mm-hmm. um, and digital cameras. Eventually, you know, and so. I kind of jumped on that bandwagon and, and thought this is gonna be you know that at some point and I thought it's gonna be like six months away, you'd be able to make a feature film from home. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be able to do all the visual effects on a home computer and edit it and, and 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 you know, launch your career. And to be honest, it took me ten years to get A good at it, or mm-hmm. not good at it, but good enough to try and do it. And B.
0: Were you largely self-taught when it comes to the, the effects and things like that?
1: Um, yeah, you kind of had to be because I remember going to Birmingham, which is the biggest city in the Midlands where I was from, and went to the main um, bookstore there that was like a few stories high mm-hmm. and tried to uh, buy every single book they had on computer graphics and anything to do with digital imagery, and there was two books, and one one of them had one reference on one page to what a JPEG was. And another one had like a reference on a page to what a QuickTime was. And then the rest was a load of nonsense gobbledygook that's no longer relevant. It mm-hmm. um, doesn't sound like it was that relevant then. No, <laughs> and it was a bit like, this, none of it was really that helpful. But you buy this stuff to, to feel like you're trying to do whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you end up self te- being self-taught. But self-taught is really a slow, really slow process because you make a load of rubbish and then you're like why is it so rubbish and you try and look at people who do good stuff and why is that good, what's the difference mm-hmm. and something I learned um, the, a lot was that I would I would look at people whose, whose work I really respected and thought this brilliant how they come up with that and you'd watch their process and, and their process was like they wouldn't really know where they were going they would just experiment and play around until they saw something they liked and then they would find They'd get excited about that, and then that would become the final thing. Rather than saying, I'm going to do this shot where it's exactly this, and it's exactly how it's going to look, and now I'm just going to go make that look real. They would be very flexible and go more like a sketch, you know, speed painting, kind of like big, like, let's make that side dark. Hang on, no, let's make that side white. Mm-hmm. Let's put a little shape there. Hang on, no, let's put the shape down there. Oh, maybe if that shape was a person, and that's a cliff edge, and maybe that's a vista. Oh, no, hang on a minute, that should be a doorway, and we should be inside. and. And they'd be playing around and just, and because in computers it's so hard to have a happy accident. Like in real life, you stand anywhere, and you've got all these. I mean, one of my friends explained it best. He said that with 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 real life, you've got an, you've got everything, and you're trying to create a frame. Like you're trying to create a frame, uh, like with a camera, you have absolutely everything in the world. And you're, you're trying to exclude everything get rid of everything and just just frame one particular thing and so you are really like eliminating infinity mm-hmm. and and selecting just the simplest bit you want to you want to show whereas in a computer you start with nothing like a complete void to and you page. have to build everything from scratch mm-hmm. and so you're trying to build everything and so it's a very painful way to make images it's like really time-consuming and, 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 and a lot of hard work to so even just model a cup you mm-hmm. know is can take all day. And so I spent 10 years doing visual effects and you learn really painfully what makes a good or a bad image because you know when you're holding a camera, you make a mistake with the composition. You've just wasted five seconds. You just move a bit more to the left. But when you paint on a computer and you do all visual effects, if you make a bad choice in composition, you've wasted at least a whole day. And so it's, I was joking yesterday, it's like the wax on, wax off of filmmaking. It's like in Karate Kid, It's it's the most painful way to learn about imagery and so suddenly when I got to pick up a camera and go try and make a low-budget film Mm. or a short or whatever um, I felt liberated I felt like I'd done my 10 years Mm -hmm. punishment and now the reward was like this freedom of being able to just shoot whatever looks good I have to assume just based on the way that you just described all that too that in
0: a way it made you a better director as well. Forget about the effects, but the way that you're t- thinking about frame and the way that you're thinking about the way that um, to compose inside an image and what is possible with film. It, 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 it did that because also I, I think about the fact that the way that you're now using effects in these larger movies, it's not simply spectacle. It's it's really integrated into the story. There's something like you know, Rogue One feels incredibly grounded to me, and I I I just I wonder, you know. It's funny, I, I did an interview recently with a production designer who I thought was a really talented director, and I could kind of trace back some of the things that he was doing from that background, and the same way you would do with a cinematographer. I, yesterday I was interviewing a, an editor whose first film here, and it's like you, you, you can see some of those things the way that they developed it in their first skill. And I think you're really one of the first people that I'm thinking of who's I, I'm, I'm in love with your work as a director and tracing it back to, to starting in the effects. And I'm just wondering, is there a correlation in
1: that sense of of you as a filmmaker from those 10 years on the computer. Does that make Pro- sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it affects you. It has to. It's like the majority of your, um, you know, at least the prime of your life in a way. But I think, I think half of it is, I think there's a lot of truth in that, um, but half of it is just wishful thinking. Because you know when you've wasted, or you feel like you've wasted 10 years doing something, mm-hmm. you want to try and justify it and go, oh, you know, well, of course, you, know, you haven't wasted anything. Because if you hadn't done visual effects, your films wouldn't be more like this rather than like that. But I, I bet if I'd spent those 10 years directing films, I'd be even better at making films because I'd spent it those 10 would, years- It would've been better as a director. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but, so, but work, trying to think of things where you go, okay, well, what has it helped with? Obviously it helps with you know visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things you end up, I hope, being a little bit better at is is that dividing line between what do you film in camera, like what's really built mm-hmm. and in front of us, and what is CGI. Because there are things that are really easy to do in the computer, and there are things that are really hard to do in the computer. And you have a basic understanding of that, obviously, and you can, when you're divvying up, like dividing the pie in the budget and saying we should shoot this, we should build this, we should go there, we don't need to go there. Um, there are things that I, I was fighting for because um, I just felt it would make it feel more real and and like for instance it sounds really silly but um, going to real locations I know it's an obvious thing to do but um, like going we went to Jordan the Maldives um, and Iceland and when we went we went with a small crew like we didn't go with everybody mm-hmm. um, there was a very limited number of people that got to go and it, when, when I'd start a meeting you'd always say look I'm, I'm not really in, I don't really want to do green screen I, can, I, mean, I want to try and avoid it you know completely if we can and people misunderstand that and think oh you want to build everything and you go no 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 I mean I want a rotoscope which means uh, you cut round people rather than have them against green mm-hmm. so that the actors can stand in real places uh, in front of real things and even if you're going to change all those things they've actually they're, the wind's really hitting them they're really freezing. Um, they can really see like a mile away and it just affects I think the, the feeling of the film like you can get away with little moments that aren't that mm-hmm. but if the whole movie's not that I think you feel it and so trying to keep as much as possible it being real locations real things and and that's not disrespectful to computer graphics because there's a hell of a lot of computer graphics in our film and we definitely need computers to pull this stuff off but um, It was making sure that me as a camera person and the actors um were really stood there and could really see things because even like for instance we designed in the opening sequence of the film the prologue there's a homestead um of mads's home and felicity's home and we must have designed that house i'm somewhere like 20 to 50 times you know like there's so many different drawings of that house in different environments and and finally the night before we actually picked that location before we started filming it was crazy we um, a last minute scramble and everybody moved heaven and Earth to make that be the location and then we stood there and there was these rocks rock formation that just happened to look like a homestead could be behind it but it wasn't there and he said to Mads like do that silly thing where you pretend you're walking up some steps and walk out of the rocks as if the homestead's there Mm -hmm. And we shot that shot and then we gave that plate to ILM and there was uh, an amazingly talented guy, genius artist called Yannick there. And um, he would grab things like that and paint over them. And, um, and people like Doug Chang, who was, who was the production designer, um, everyone would have a go at painting over one of these frames. And because it's actually the real place with real environment, when they design the shapes that go in that actual shot that's actually in the movie, it feels 10 times better than all the little designs we had done never having been anywhere and it felt like this is the way you could make a film where like instead of designing everything up front so much go shoot the movie mm-hmm. and then when you've cut it then you design the film around what you've got um, it seems way more efficient um and so yeah it was like there was a lot of the process that And having a background in visual effects, you just feel more relaxed about, like, you know, I know you can make that look good. And part of that is also
0: knowing where to fight your fights because you know sometimes if you're asking for something, that's going to be a huge deal. Like, that's a ton of work. to
1: build that homestead would have, I don't know, it would have cost, like, Mm -hmm. £250,000. To do it as a digital matte painting for that one shot Mm -hmm. was, I don't know, but I would guess it's, we're looking at, you know, tens, (laughs) like, yeah, ten grand or, I don't know what mm-hmm. and so so it's way more efficient but in the other hand there are things you need to build because to, to 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 cgi them constantly would be a nightmare and the, the simple rule of thumb because everyone's looking for like what's the simple rule that we can follow the simple rule would be a radius around the camera of like 10 meters like that would be that should be built that should be for real mm-hmm. and um and then everything beyond that can be in the computer if it needs to be.
0: And one thing, and in your DP, um, Greg Fraser deserves a lot of credit for this too. Yeah. Um, and I know that this was a, I had talked to him back in December and talking about you guys' original meetings and 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 the look of that film. And one thing that I loved about Rogue One, is, and I I think you're kind of getting at it right now, is, is that, yes, it's Star Wars. Yes, there's. All the sci-fi elements and, and, the, and the CGI, but it feels very grounded. It feels very um, realistic. These lives feel very lived in. Um, it's also beautiful, but giving it almost a, making sure it has like a photorealism, but also um, you know Greg's photography is always tends to be yeah. very beautiful, but also yeah. not, not feeling lit. Lot. You know, it feels if it, it, and and it. It strikes me that that is also something that comes from a confidence of knowing, well, I've got this, I know how to do that, and but like very focusing on this on this as a movie, and not getting so caught up in all those other moving parts of this high five well
1: again, the other thing you learn doing computer graphics is there's this temptation to always put more and more details in, like the client is somehow paying for for little ships and little people mm-hmm. and and the more you can like cluster an image with, with ideas and things, the, like, the more value for money they get in. And you do that once in your career, and you realize you've just made it look like a mess, mm-hmm. and it looks rubbish. And you basically learn the hard way that the more you remove things, and the more you keep things simple, and iconic, mm-hmm. and very easy to read, um, the stronger and more memorable those images are. And so you become very confident that less is more, you don't actually need lots, you need clean, simple, uh, like things that just give you depth cues and allow you to understand the objects you're looking at very quickly. And and it's something that like someone like Greg would learn through his photography a lot as well. And so we went through these different paths in our careers. Like I was doing computer graphics, he was doing a lot of photography and then cinematography. And you coming you're coming to the same conclusion. So we were very much in sync about uh, what to do in a scene like basically remove like try try and simplify it like like get it reduced like it was one of the best bits of advice I heard about Blade Runner which I think is one of the best uh, you know shot films ever um, is that what they would do is they would create a scene and they would turn all the lights on and you know light it all and then um, if you slowly turn one light off and go should we turn one more another light off you might turn two off and you go okay let's shoot this and you shoot it and you have a certain result. If you say, okay, new experiment, let's go back to the beginning, let's turn every single light off. Pitch black, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna turn one on. Okay, that looks cool. Do we need to turn two on? If you come at it from the other angle, like the simplest version rather than the most complicated version, it's always stronger. That final image always looks better. And so we were always trying to take things away, remove light, Keep it like a lot of silhouettes, you know, a lot of a lot of atmospherics, um, and stuff looks always looks better. And it, and you feel guilty about it because you think they're paying us loads of money for all these toys and this kit, and we should do this or that. I also feel like there's a pressure on directors that take on these franchises or take on these things, where it
0: is there is an element of outdoing of a bigger spectacle. Um, you know, Edgar Wright. I don't know if you saw Baby. If you were here, yeah, day. yeah, that's um, there's an element there of of that this one's got to be bigger it's got that's what's going to get people to the theater rather than a visceral experience rather than an actual action sequence and feeling like you're there and and sometimes i think that might be a little bit what you're getting at in terms of that layering how many things are going and it's going to be bigger and it's going to be better where ultimately that's not what i think you and i probably grew up loving the same films that's not what Spielberg right. was doing. That's not what, you know. That's not what the original Star Wars were doing. They were these. these
1: even though there was a spectacle there, it became about that well, core element. There's been this like arms race going on. That's who, such a good way of saying an arms race. Like who can <laughs> have the most stuff in a in a in a set piece, right? Mm-hmm. And how insane it can be. And I think I would have thought, honestly, would have thought fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, before this sort of movies began. If you describe to me what you're gonna see in this summer blockbuster and it's got like a million spaceships all flying all Mm -hmm. at once and then suddenly all these robots running everywhere and then there's suddenly these explosions and we're racing with the camera doing this. Mm -hmm. Maybe 20 years ago there's some part of me that might have gone, okay, well I guess that's that's really cool and that would be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But now living in this age, we all see those trailers and they show those shots and I couldn't, I am numb. You know what I mean, like I couldn't give a... I get bored. About it. I
0: also get bored. I don't know how I get bored in some of these movies, but I genuinely...
1: And you think, well, what, why is that happening? Because this if this was a real event. This would be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But instead I'm just glazing over like, no, oh, I don't want to watch this thing. Like it, it turns me off. And, and, and I think, thankfully, that's because it's not about how much stuff you can throw at the screen it Mm -hmm. becomes about you know it's an obvious thing to say but it just becomes about do you care what's going on Mm -hmm. and and why and and I think the real goal which visual effects companies have no control over and as a visual effects person I had no control over but it's really about is the story that this is supporting or the moments within it like that, that it's supporting are they are they grabbing you emotionally? Mm-hmm. Are you getting pulled in? Are you caring about the outcome? And I think that's all about like setup. Like um, I think there's there's cl- a lot of clear examples of really being invested in a set piece without knowing any of the characters. Um, it's not like you need to know their backstory or like do loads of character development. It's just the storytelling of the ins and outs of like a moment that's about to happen. And mm-hmm. you anticipate, you have an expectation, and then suddenly that's twisted on its head. Yeah and then you are willing something else to happen instead and then you realize that first thing you wanted to happen is now happening and you wish you hadn't wished for it. And, and it's that sort of, that sort of st- style of storytelling or filmmaking, I think, like, it's what wins and what stays, you know, stands the test of time. And before I let you go, what are you, what are you doing next? Do you know? Oh, God. i um, mainly going to have a little bit of a break and I'm writing the next thing and... A few different options, and uh, I feel like I always jinx stuff if I talk about it, Mm -hmm. so I I I don't. But
0: are you pretty sure though? I I don't want the details, but are you pretty sure that you want uh, to write your next thing,
1: or is the other couple options things that are being offered to you? Is it something where you kind of? No, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna um, definitely wanna write a screenplay for this Mm -hmm. thing I wanna do, Mm -hmm. Um, whether I do it next or not. Is is another conversation, but mm-hmm. and collaborate and definitely work with other writers and things. I think this is like for sure as a filmmaker, um, the most important thing, especially if you if things have worked out for you, mm-hmm. people tend to agree with you a little bit more than they used to, and I think that's a slippery slope where. Um, people won't tell you something you're doing is no good. You need some pushback. You need yes. To, uh, you just need to surround yourself yeah. with people that you have the same taste as you, but will mm-hmm. tell you like mm, you can make that better by doing this. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks having me